Friends, as we continue uh, through 2 Thessalonians in the season after Easter, I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, Today we're going to slow down just a little bit and focus on just the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians 3. And so if you find your way through the New Testament letters of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then you'll find 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. If you get to other books that have people's names like Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and John, and Peter, uh, then go back a little bit and find Thessalonians. Um, We'll have, we'll finish up next week with 2nd Thessalonians 3, and actually we'll have Caitlin preach the closing of the letter. Um, Thought it would be neat to have her preach on Mother's Day, but also, I mean, I think the whole point is we make moms do a lot of things. So to have Caitlin preach today just seemed also kind of unfair. So um, maybe Father's Day though. But, uh, but as we focus on just these first five verses, there's kind of a, there's a gap in the letter, not, not a gap that anything's missing. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul is straightening a lot of things out. He's trying to correct the misunderstanding and continue to build on the assurances that he gave in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is more assurance, some correction of error, and reassurance away from error. And then before the letter kind of finishes with closing thoughts, with a little bit of reinforcing of the point, there's just this little space in these five verses where the letter just takes on this summary tone. And here we find prayer, faith, and confidence, all mentioned specifically. And prayer, of course, comes up a lot, a lot, a lot in the New Testament. But as we pay attention to prayer and faith and confidence, where we find those things and where they come from, um, I invite you simply to savor these five verses as its own movement within the greater book of 2 Thessalonians. But before we read God's word together, we pray. And we do this because we believe that the scriptures are living and active, and we want to ask God to make them alive to us and live within us each and every time we read them. So before we read God's word together, let's pray. God, open the scriptures to us. As we pray right now, may we be reminded in our hearts and minds that you meet us in prayer as we pray in faith that you will open your word to us and speak your truth to us, may we find our faith in you and may it be strengthened. And Lord, as we come with our understandings, with our lack of understandings and our misunderstandings, may we come to you with confidence that you will speak clearly to us through your word and that you will make the word live within us. Lord, we pray this with confidence. So open your scriptures to us today, that our minds and hearts may be connected with you, and that you may increase the fullness of confidence that you are with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, at the conclusion of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and if you are grateful, I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. 
we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of the mornings where I could really use a couple of volunteers to help me out. Um, I know sometimes everybody wants to rush forward all at once, but if you'd raise your hand, if you'd be willing to be a volunteer, thank you, Zach, come on up. Um, we could use one more, maybe, one other brave soul. Eric, perfect, come on up. This is great. Oh, yeah, come on up, all the way up, all the way up on stage. I'll make some room for you. Okay, do you want to be better? Yeah? Sure. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. The, some of this is, you, you know, C.S. Lewis says that the problem with the human heart is not that desires are too strong, but that they're too weak and too easily satisfied. So I, I need you to want this in your heart. Um, would it be, do you want to be strong? You both are pretty strong, right? Yes, you are. <laughs> um, it'd be great to be stronger. Um, what about flexibility prevents injuries? I'm curious, who of you two is more flexible? <laughs> yeah, there might be some age on that. Okay, um, so if, 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 if Zach is probably already a little bit more flexible, um, then maybe, Eric, would you like to work on your flexibility? Would you like to become stronger? Sure. Okay. Uh, then, Zach, you're going to take flexibility, and Eric, you're going to take strength. Um, so, uh, Zach, we, we want to make sure that we can see this visually. So, could you actually sit with your, um, not against the pulpit, but with your back towards the pulpit and face that way? Yep. If you could have a seat, because um, if, if you face them, nobody can see. I want you to put your feet out in front of you and keep, keep your feet together and I want you to gain flexibility. So I'd like you to stretch and see if you can touch your toes. He made that look pretty easy, honestly. I can maybe still do that. What's that? I can maybe still do that. Okay, all right. Zach, you can stand up. Eric's gonna give it a try, too. Man, no one's gonna, this is why nobody volunteers for these things. Hey, that was great. Let's give, let's both of them, like, hey, that was pretty good. Now, I'm wondering, um, what if you did that every single day, morning and evening, maybe even at lunch, for a year? Do you think you'd be more or less flexible after a year? More. Definitely more, right? And I would say, good job, both of you. We should have gotten somebody less flexible to do that one, actually. But we're not here to be mean. Um, we're, always growing, we're always getting stronger, too, right? And I, I've worked with both of you. You both are pretty strong. Um, could you do a couple push-ups? I can't because I have a tie and it looks weird because it drops all the time, so. Okay, Eric's not doing it. Zach, can you give us a few push-ups? That'd be great. Like seven, maybe. Seven's a good number in the Bible. That's one, and two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was good. And, and really, the, another good number in the Bible is 10. You probably could have done 10. Oh, you don't have to. <laughs> All right, the next holy number is 40. Um, <laughs> 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 
we're not going to worry about that one. But Zach is also, you know, respect your elders, and, and Eric is, um, is older than you, so way to take the push-ups for him. So, but let's, let's be honest, you guys are both pretty strong, you're in pretty good shape, the flexibility went well, but if you stretched every day, if you did push-ups every day, you would grow in strength, right? Yeah, very true. And if you did none of those things, would you expect to be stronger and more flexible? No, probably not. I think you guys both did a great job. And I was, I, I actually thought about with this, um, just having you do push-ups indefinitely while I went back to my notes, but I'm feeling charitable today. The kids singing kind of put me in a good mood. So, yeah, so no, I, I will, no, no more tricks. So thank you both for demonstrating both flexibility and strength. And I'm like, kind of curious, Zach, if you could have done 40, but like say, we're gonna be nice today. It seems that in the New Testament, prayer gets talked about so much and is often um, very close in proximity as it is today. Prayer is close in proximity with faith in the scriptures. And, and with that in mind, though there is no perfect analogy, though what we saw Zach and Eric do today helps us visualize it, I wonder if today we can think of prayer as the muscle of faith that we both strengthen and stretch over time. What if prayer is the muscle of faith? That, that if we want to grow in faith, of course we would all wanna say, yeah, we wanna be better, we wanna grow in our faith. How do we grow in our faith? It's probably not by sitting there and thinking it into existence. How do we strengthen our faith? Well, with some sort of practice. Praying is probably the most basic of practices to our faith. Prayer is like the push-ups of strength conditioning, and prayer is like the toe touches of gaining flexibility. Because sometimes it's not just growing the strength of our faith, sometimes we need to be stretched. We can't just stay status quo and walk through life comfortably, sometimes we need to stretch our faith a little bit. And they both made it look pretty easy, but if we're not so flexible to reach down and touch our toes, and I know when I was in regular stretching, once you could touch your toes, well, then you had to grab your heel, and once you could do that, you had to wrap your wrist around your foot. We are always stretching ourselves as well. What if prayer is the muscle that we can both stretch and strengthen as it relates to our faith? Because we can't just say, I'd like to have more faith. How do we pursue that? How do we accomplish that? And it seems that prayer is the most basic thing at the very forefront of all of it. And as we maybe take that into account with these five verses, I would offer the lens that prayer will be the thing that will strengthen and stretch our faith. Now, make no mistake, this is not works-based righteousness. We don't earn faith by praying. Faith is a gift from God. But what do you do with a gift? Do you neglect it? Do you hide it? No, a gift is given to be taken care of, that it is a blessing to us. And so if we've been given this gift of faith, that God gives us faith, how do we take care of that gift? Wouldn't we want to strengthen and stretch the gifts that God has given us to use them to their full potential? And if the gift is faith, then prayer is the means by which we take on, by which we meet God, by which we co-create with God and find our faith being strengthened and stretched. We pray as it relates to our faith. 
And I don't know if that's too, it's not a formula either that if we pray, then we'll have stronger and more, and, and more stretched faith that we will arrive at confidence because I think confidence can be a dangerous thing and can be misunderstood. Somewhere between humility and arrogance, confidence holds all things together. But if we're thinking of a holy confidence, let's not confuse it with confidence in earthly things, but let's say that we actually want all of our confidence to be in Christ and in Christ alone, and every lesser confidence comes from that. I don't think you can just magically become more confident but we have to learn to trust, and trust is one of the elements of faith. So as we pray, we strengthen faith, and we build that certain confidence because we have tested, we have tested our faith over and over, and as God proves himself to us, then our faith gains a little bit of confidence that we've seen God at work, and that in fact part of prayer is making sure that we're paying attention, that we're looking to what God may be up to, because God will continue to be at work. But prayer is the muscle that we strengthen by which we pay attention and focus and get ourselves invested in faith. Consider that the Thessalonian church, they had to be a praying church, because otherwise Paul would have chided them for not being people of prayer, but instead he asks them with confidence in the Lord that they are doing and will continue to do the things that he commands, verse four, with confidence that he is persuaded that they are already doing well, he asks them to join him in prayer. If they weren't a praying people, he would have told them that they needed to pray more, but rather with confidence in verse four, we find in verse one this ask to please pray for us, Get invested in what we're doing. As for other matters, verse 1, brothers and sisters, pray for us, and it's good to be asked to be prayed for. We do this regularly in congregational prayer, and yet it's not just for Paul and Silas and Timothy as addressed in the first chapter, but rather pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Pray for us because we have a part in this but really the prayer is that the gospel message may spread rapidly, that it may go places, that it may continue to gain traction in the world. Pray for the message of the Lord and pray for us as that's our part in it. We have faith and prayer can be our part in that. Paul sees that they have had faith and that they have grown in their faith and that Paul wants to see more of that. Now, is it true that he'd continue to do his missionary journeys? It's not like they have to pray for him or he'll quit. And it's probably also true that God will continue to turn people's hearts towards the gospel. And yet what Paul asks is, please pray with us. Get your hearts invested in what God is doing, not only in your city, but in the whole world. Pray for us. Now, if they didn't pray, would no one come to faith? Hmm. I don't think that's the input-output that we're looking for because prayer is about our relationship. It is not a formula. And it's not always a quick and easy fix either. But rather we are told, pray for us. And pray that we may be delivered. Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. Here we come to the first mention of faith, rather the absence of it. And part of Paul's prayer is for deliverance. Now, verse two should give us a little bit of pause 
Because if we read this the wrong way, we can come to some conclusions that aren't intended. Now, we get this either or kind of thinking. Pray that we may be delivered. Okay, good. This is about care and concern for Paul, Silas, Timothy, their traveling companions. That we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Now, we could read this in a way that says, okay, so if you don't have faith, you are a wicked and evil person. Now, in one way, we can draw that from maybe Romans and Galatians, where Paul does talk about, aside from Christ, the inclinations of our heart are wicked. We can be selfish, that, that we are predisposed towards sin. So in one way, without Christ, yes, we are wicked because no one has taken our sin away from us. But all of us, even lifelong saints in the church, all of us are sinful. All of us have tendencies towards wickedness. But what we recognize in the gospel message is that Christ died for us and rose again for us, and in so doing, removed our wickedness from us, that God sees it no more. And Paul is praying, please, we want to see more of that. And Thessalonian church, invest your hearts. Pray with us for that. So that when you hear of new churches in other cities, when more people come to Christ, you rejoice and give thanks to God for answered prayers. And when times are tough and things are hard and it seems like all of the effort in the world is for nothing, pray for us then too with perseverance, which is the last word in our, in our verse today. But rather, we could think, okay, at some level, we are wicked and evil without Christ, for not everyone has faith. But we want to be careful that we don't extend that in a way that Paul doesn't mean. Wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Now, if I pause and think about people I know, I know some people who do not have Christian faith, who are kind, who are generous and thoughtful, who will listen to you when you are in, in times of trouble. I know people who are not Christians, who are not going to church who are generous and care, and they will show up when you are in pain, and they will be with you, and they will express the best sentiments of humanity to you. There are those folks who do not have faith, and yet we wouldn't call them wicked and evil. We would know that they haven't come to Christ and said, please, let me turn towards you, O Jesus, that I can be forgiven. But some of the people that I know that don't have the faith that I have I wouldn't label wicked and evil, and I would caution us from doing that too quickly either. In fact, we should be pretty slow to label people wicked and evil, but we can recognize faith, which is a gift from God, or perhaps the absence of it. This deliverance from wicked and evil people, there is intent and malice and harm that Paul is talking about here, and with that, you need deliverance. And so, not all people without faith are meaning us intentional harm, and though there are those who do not have this faith that Paul talks about that have turned against him. Throughout the New Testament in the missionary journeys, there's different responses. Some people respond with hostility, and Paul certainly wants deliverance from those who are hostile, from those who will slow down the gospel message, from those who will, will, will hinder the good news of the cross being spread. Paul certainly has that in mind. Per deliver us from those wicked and evil people. And yet, some people presented with the gospel are just indifferent, or they're thinking about it, 
or there's just maybe not much of a reaction yet. I don't know if we would label those folks wicked and evil, but we would say there's not faith there yet. This wicked and evil people that Paul needs deliverance from, they're intending active harm in such a way that Paul said, please deliver me from them. Because if someone's not meaning you active and intentional harm, there's a good chance that they are your neighbor with which you will continue to try to bring to Christ, to share the gospel with, to get them just a little bit closer to God by invitation and patience and perseverance. So this wicked and evil people, some suggest that what Paul has in mind is things he's written in other letters, like in 1 Timothy 1 where Hymenaeus and Alexander have been causing Paul all kinds of trouble because there's another category of people that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Barnabas and all the early missionaries interact with, those who seem to have come to faith and then yet reject it with hostility, or who seem to come to faith but are working against the mission of the church. And Paul wants deliverance from those who are working against them. Pray, 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 pray for this deliverance from the wicked and evil people who are actively intending us harm. For not everyone has faith. But lest we think that faith is a litmus test, let's be careful that we're thinking about faith, the type of faith that you strengthen and stretch through prayer, the same way that the New Testament speaks of faith. Because I live in my head quite a bit, and maybe some of you do too. And faith here is not just the things that you think. It's not just the stuff that you think. It's not just getting the mental equation right in your head. But rather, there is something about faith that is transformative. Something about faith in Christ that actually changes you and makes you different. Something about faith that is actually like practicing doing some push-ups or doing some stretches so that you are strengthening and stretching your faith because it has an effect on you. Prayer leads to this kind of faith that changes us. And we can argue intellectually and in our minds all the day over, and it might not produce any change in me or in the person who I'm talking to, but rather the faith that Paul is after here, the faith that he thinks of that is associated with Christ is the faith that transforms us, that makes us noticeably different. And that is a witness to the world, is the faith that first we've we have opened up that God is moving and transforming us in our hearts. And that gets attention. That makes eyes turn or heads and hearts turn, not towards us, but to this message of the Lord that Paul prays is spreading rapidly and is honored, just as it was with the Thessalonians and just as it can be at North Holland. Not everyone has this faith that transforms them. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for the times when maybe we get things right in our head, but it doesn't really look like God is up to anything in our lives, that there's no difference made. Let's pray for that. Not that we would say, oh, we're wicked and evil, but what about praying for not everyone has the faith that's changing and transforming them? Let's pray for that, that there is actual transformation, not from thinking our way into it, but from acting on it. Because faith as a gift, if not exercised or stretched the way push-ups and stretches can, can grow us in that way, if we don't stretch, we lose flexibility. 
we don't exercise, we lose out. We gain, we, we lose strength and become weaker. Pray for the type of faith that everyone who has faith can have the type of faith that actually creates change. Now, is this always going to happen? Well, I guess we'll have to stretch our faith on that one. But verse 3 tells us the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Paul, at this point, has, has changed from talking about pray that we may be delivered from evil people, that we may not be hindered as we share this message, to saying, you Thessalonians, know the Lord is faithful. This is where our faith goes to, and that he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful. When we stretch our faith in prayer, when we continue to strengthen our faith through regular prayer, we're, we're heading towards something that is more faithful than our own practices, and it's getting us in touch with what God is doing. Pray, not generally, not with, you know, going through the motions, good words to say, nice things to do, but pray in faith that there is really a God out there who is king of the universe, who is hearing your every prayer that is offered. And may that make a difference in us. May that build with us the confidence that we find in verse 4, this confidence in the Lord that the Thessalonians are doing and will continue to do the very things that have been commanded to them. And then what happens? Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. All of this as a conclusion to the first few verses of being asked to pray, pray, pray. That how are our hearts directed towards God's love? Don't we pray for that? It's like setting a compass bearing and getting it pointing in the right direction that we can find all other directions through it. That our hearts can be directed into God's love and as we're directed into God's love, we increase in our love for neighbor and into perseverance that we can make it on our own? Far from it. Not that we can make it on our own, that we can be so strong that we don't need God, but rather that our prayers out of weakness and out of frailty direct us towards Christ's perseverance, towards the patience and endurance that we find in Jesus, that our prayers will lead us there. Prayer is not a quick fix. It's not a formula, and it's not magic that makes everything happen the way we want it. But it is the thing that if we don't do it, we find neglect and weakness in our faith. And if we apply ourselves to it, there is a strengthening and a stretching that takes place. I close with this. I grew up on a farm, and we had every single parcel of land on a grid taped to the side of the refrigerator, every single spot. And we had each and every step of the farming process also labeled. So each time something got done, we got to fill in that, okay, the, the homestead has now been tilled and planted. And then eventually we get to spraying, if applicable, cultivating, and eventually harvest. And honestly, I don't think we never got around to much fall tillage because we were just not that ahead of the game. But every piece of land and every step in the process. Now, this could be in some ways mechanical. It's just keeping track of things. Except I remember when I noticed there was something on the chart that I didn't understand. And let me tell you, I had every farm toy that you can imagine, so I knew all the steps of farming. 
In fact, not unlike some kids here, I farmed the carpet in our house with 164th models, and I'm sure my parents were very glad that I would be busy for that long to disc the entire field and then plant the entire field. Also, they were probably glad I was wearing shorts because, man, kids bust the knees out of their jeans pretty fast. But there's a step in the farming process on the side of the fridge that was just labeled IGH. IGH. Any farmers know what that one is? Because I certainly didn't. I did not have an IGH to pull behind any tractor that I had in my great selection of farm toys. IGH was in God's hands. And it was the step between seeds that were planted and everything that was done to take care of them was completed. And then the longest period of the growing season is when you're just waiting. And waiting is hard. So my parents made it an active step. IGH was in God's hand that now we're just waiting for the harvest moment. And so we'll eventually fill that box in, IGH. But it was a reminder that this isn't just the time that we sit back and do nothing. This is the time that we remember that what has been planted, what has been entrusted to God's earth is also in God's hands. And so what do we do when we wait? We pray. We pray. And does that, mean, does that make every harvest abundant? No. Does it mean that we are trusting that God will provide? Yes. Does it mean that we're going to celebrate and give thanks to God when things go well? Absolutely. Does it mean that we'll continue to trust God with love and Christ's perseverance when things go horribly wrong and the year looks horrible and terrible and miserable? Absolutely. Friends, we also are in God's hands. And the seeds that we plant and the harvest that we long for when Christ returns, in God's hands. And I don't think we really get to check that box at any point in our lives, except to know that that is where we live, I-G-H, in God's hands. And if we take a moment to picture that, maybe it does strengthen our faith. Maybe it leads us to pray just a little more often with a little bit of a stretch. Because if you try to stretch too soon, too fast, you'll hurt yourself. But rather, we are in God's hands. And that is not a bored, passive waiting where there's nothing to do. When we are in God's hands, that is an active waiting that deserves our time and our attention and our focus. And as we wait, as we pray actively, may we see God at work in every great and little way along the way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we remember that we are IGH. We are in your hands. And as we look around and as we get ready to turn to a time of congregational prayer, we know that all of the prayers that we offer, our loved ones are in your hands. The situations that we lift in prayer are in your hands. And so we ask that you strengthen us, that you stretch us as we pray, that we may find that faith that isn't just about knowing the right stuff, but that faith that is strengthened and stretched by being constantly in conversation with you, O oh God. May we remember that we are in your hands and that if we walk through life without much effort, we'll be okay, but we'll miss out. We'll miss out on being stretched by you 
by being strengthened by you. And so help us to do so, knowing that it's not just our efforts, though we get to participate in your kingdom, but rather that even as we pray, even as we stretch ourselves and strengthen our muscles of faith, that we are in your hands. Amen.